You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So God, we ask that you would vanquish the powers of hell through the simple, lowly act of broken preaching to broken hearers. Help us now. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're in Mark 1, and for today's sermon we're camping on verses 14 and 15. Question, when you hear Jesus say the kingdom of God is at hand, what do you hear? A few months back, a friend of a friend posted what I guess is an annual tradition among English school teachers who pool together collections of funny statements students make in their stories and essays, particularly when those students use analogies or similes or metaphors like this one. His thoughts tumbled in his head, making and breaking alliances like underpants in a dryer without cling-free. Or, she grew on him like she was a colony of E. coli, and he was room-temperature Canadian beef. Or, the little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. Super profound. Or, John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. I sometimes wonder whether when we hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God being at hand, whether we don't fall into the trap of simile or metaphor or analogy, that the kingdom of God is just some sort of metaphor for something else, that it's figurative and not literal. And even if we don't fall into that trap in our minds, I'm wondering if we fall into that trap in our sort of functional day-to-day. Jesus said something about the kingdom of God, but I need to pay my dental bill. Jesus said something about the kingdom of God, but look at this really funny TikTok video. Jesus said something about the kingdom of God, but man, I can't wait to try out these new golf clubs. The kingdom of God is just sort of an irrelevant concept. Cool, Jesus, that's nice. Now back to my fried chicken. But the announcement of the kingdom of God isn't a metaphor. It isn't a simile. It isn't an analogy or a symbol. This statement in Mark is really significant for a bunch of reasons. The first thing we need to notice about our passage is that this is the first moment in Mark's gospel when Jesus opens his mouth, when the red letters appear. Chapter 1 has been building up to this moment, and now we're here. It functions kind of like a big megaphone, a headline for the entire account of Mark. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, dot, dot, dot. What is he going to say? What is this good news? What's the headline? Pause. Okay, so here at the Advent, we talk a lot about the gospel, thank God. We care a lot about the gospel. Our mission is headlined with a living, daring confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps then at this first month of a new year, it's worth reviewing from the Bible what the gospel is. Interestingly though, I wonder how foreign it might sound to you to hear what Jesus says the gospel actually is here. Because his answer is dot, dot, dot. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's unpacking a bunch of the Old Testament to hearers who would more or less have understood what he meant. The kingdom of God is at hand means that God's promised time of peace and justice and restoration of God's holy law and order is here. That promised day of the Lord when God would finally right all the wrongs and free all the captives from bondage and oppression, that day is at hand. And Jesus calls that announcement the gospel. You know, we at the Advent are used to talking about the gospel as the good news that Jesus Christ came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that he lived the life we couldn't live, that he died for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God to such a degree that when we die, it's not the end, but it's the beginning of eternal life. But here, Jesus proclaims the gospel of God by saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus lived and died for you. That's the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's the gospel too, at least according to Jesus. And well, he's Jesus. So what do we make of this? Let's use a visual, like a mental picture. The Bible urges us to think about these things like two concentric circles. You have a big circle on the outside. And then in the middle of that big circle is a smaller circle, a tighter circle, the center of that big circle. The gospel in its broadest sense, the gospel in its broadest sense, is that big circle announcement that we can call the kingdom of God is at hand. Which means that the good news it shares is the good news of whatever that kingdom brings. If you read your Old Testament, That kingdom good news includes the following. Justice, finally. Oppressors are dealt with. The oppressed are free, lifted up. Ecological peace, finally. The natural order is restored. No more pollution. No more killing animals and animals killing animals. Political order, finally. Oh, and isn't that good news right now? Jesus is king, and everybody knows their place. No more disagreements over truth. No more disagreements over the right and wrong way to do things. No one goes hungry. No child is left behind. And no one falls through the cracks. All that, according to Jesus, is the gospel. The king is here. The kingdom has arrived. And these things are upon us. It's time. But some of us are beginning to itch here because if you've been at the Advent for a while, we're not used to hearing about the gospel in this way necessarily. We hear all this kingdom stuff, but we notice something strangely absent. Sin and a cross that saves me. We're actually used to hearing about the center circle in the middle of the gospel. And for good reason, it's the center. How do we know it's the center? Well, all you have to do is allow today's verses in Mark, to unfold throughout the rest of his gospel, to unfold its meaning throughout the rest of the book. Where does the gospel of Mark drive toward? Where do the other three gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, drive toward? Where does the whole Bible climax? In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that means if the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't stand at the center of what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand, 
If Christ and him crucified doesn't stand at the center of what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand, if sinners saved by a bloody cross doesn't stand at the center of what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand, well, in a way, we not only lose the center of the two circles, we lose the whole gospel of the kingdom of God. You see, there are some sectors of so-called Christianity today that want to camp out on the big circle kingdom of God to the total exclusion of the middle. It's a kind of gospel of the kingdom without the gospel of the cross. But here's the deal. Without the center gospel of Jesus who lived and died for me, the gospel of the kingdom actually ceases to be gospel. It actually stops being good news. For those of you familiar with this theological construction that we talk about at the Advent, that's the construction of the Apostle Paul and reiterated by the Reformers. Without the center circle, the gospel of the kingdom actually becomes the law. Demands for justice for the oppressed actually become just that. Demands. Demands with no accompanying power to fulfill what they require, which is what the law is. A command with no provision to keep it. And because what the law demands, the gospel provides. And when I say gospel in this context, I mean the center circle. Jesus Christ, who died for the ungodly. But we can't have conversations about justice actually working unless we first reckon with the justice of the cross. We can't have conversations about reconciliation actually working unless we perpetually go back to the central act that makes that possible, the reconciliation between God and humanity 2,000 years ago at Calvary. And we know this because Jesus adopted a totally different method of securing his kingdom than we do when we deal with these kinds of problems. How does Jesus inaugurate his rule and reign and seek to unleash its values in a way that this world would actually start to look more like the kingdom? Ironically, it's the total opposite of the methodology of the unbiblical and ungodly Christian nationalism that percolates and erupts in the United States, storming Capitol buildings, demanding power, and taking it by force. Jesus does none of these things. Jesus moves as far away from the seat of power, the Washington, D.C. of his day, Rome, as possible. He moves as far away from military conquest as possible. He yields to crucifixion outside of the city, on the edge of an empire. And he wins by losing. He defeats by being defeated, justifying the ungodly in the greatest act of injustice humanity will ever know. You see, the center circle, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the great gospel key that unlocks the benefits to be unleashed when the kingdom of God is at hand. But if that center is not there, those benefits remain locked up. Justice, the end of oppression, reconciliation, political peace, social harmony, economic freedom, the elimination of poverty, those benefits remain locked up without the cross to unleash the tidal wave of the kingdom of God. And this is because, as has been said, the problem, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the center of the gospel is there to deal with that problem.
But the center never comes at the expense of the larger circle. The kingdom of God can't be missed. The kingdom of God is good news, and so we need to ask the question, who is this good news for? Who are the kinds of people that will hear Jesus' words here? The kingdom of God is at hand as good news, as gospel. The answer is the oppressed. Justice is here. Who hears that as good news? The one who's been oppressed by injustice. Economic flourishing and abundance is here. Who hears that as good news? The one who has lived under the oppression of poverty. Only those who understand their oppression are are poised to hear the good news as good news. Or in Jesus' words one chapter later in the Gospel of Mark, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The big circle The gospel of the kingdom offers a word that addresses those aspects of oppression that are physical, that are social, that are material, that are political. And that means that if you're following what Jesus says here, we can't ever separate religion from politics, for instance, because if Jesus is king, that's a political statement. And we're on the hook, therefore, for the values of his kingdom. We have to listen to him submit our political ideologies to him. Jesus gets to call the shots. But if what we said before is true, that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, there's another kind of oppression that's common to every human being on this planet. Spiritual oppression. The oppression of sin, the flesh, and the devil, our three enemies, And that can only be addressed by the center circle. What happens, though, is that when you don't recognize or encounter oppression in the big circle realm of life, it can sometimes become a lot harder to recognize the fundamental oppression on the inner circle, the center circle, the spiritual oppression. You notice this actually playing out in the ineffectiveness of Jesus' ministry. Who did Jesus' big circle and center circle gospel not affect? Two types. Wealthy people and religious people. The rich man went away sad, and the Pharisees fought him tooth and nail. Because wealth tricks us into thinking that we don't have any material needs. And religiosity tricks us into thinking that we've solved all our spiritual needs on our own. The wealthy and the religious were blind to their own oppression. They didn't know that they were sick. They didn't know that they needed a physician. So when the physician came and said, I've got good news for you, it didn't sound like good news because their ears were distorted. So what are we to do with all of this right now in this moment? How do we respond to the Jesus who declares to us today, January 24th, 2021, in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus actually tells us what we're supposed to do with this. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, the Holy Spirit's been active right now. And some of you have been stirred up. 
Some of you find yourself maybe in the religious category, and maybe for the first time your eyes are opened that religiosity is actually the opposite of good news because it throws you back on yourself. If so, repent of your religiosity because your religiosity isn't good enough. In fact, you need to be more religious if you're going to keep God's bar. If you and I sat down and took an inventory of your religiosity, I bet I could find some things that you're not good enough at. You probably don't attend church quite enough. You probably don't pray quite enough. You probably don't give away enough of your money, and you probably whittle away more of your time with selfish endeavors than you realize. You aren't perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as Jesus says, not good enough. You haven't been believing the gospel. You've been believing in yourself. Repent and believe in the gospel. Some of you find yourselves in the veiled bondage of wealth. And I say veiled bondage because being well off doesn't feel like bondage. It feels like freedom. We can buy whatever we want, go wherever we want, live wherever we want, drive whatever we want, vacation wherever we want. Freedom! Perhaps the Holy Spirit today is stirring in your heart and pressing on that bruise of that emptiness, that dull ache that you go about as you live your life, that nagging feeling that you're still in bondage. Jesus says to you, repent of the fact that you placed your hopes and your dependence upon the God of money rather than Jesus. Ask God to unbind you from the shackles and cry out to God with every fiber of your being, God, I need you, because God loves the needy. Maybe some of you are feeling the total opposite. COVID has obliterated your finances, or maybe they were obliterated before then. Jesus says, good news, good news, I see you. If the Father clothes the flowers of the field, how much more will he provide for you, his beloved? Some of you have had your eyes open today that the gospel has a bigger sphere of coverage, that there's a reign and a rule of Jesus to participate in now, that participating in endeavors of justice, goodness, and truth is actually the fruit of having believed in that center circle gospel. The blinders are coming off that something like mission and outreach isn't a department of a church. It's a way of life that every Christian is free to embrace. You're now freed up to love others in tangible and surprising ways. You're free to build relationships with people really different from you. You're free to give yourself away in service of the poor. And you're free to join Jesus in seeking out people on the margins to plead their cause through advocacy and support. You're free to not have to vote simply according to party line politics, but vote according to the values of the kingdom, even in the midst of a very messy political landscape with no easy answers. Some of you find yourselves in physical bondage, whether you're aging or facing death, or whether you're parenting children with disabilities or dealing with disabilities of your own. Jesus says to you today, I see you, and in my kingdom, all of that matters to me. Don't stop praying to me for healing. Because my death and resurrection, I will heal. I will heal either in this life or the next, but I will heal. Repent of your despair that the healing will never come. Believe the good news that I'm preaching to you now. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
And some of you struggle to have any capacity to think about that big circle stuff because your personal life is caved in. If today you're oppressed by personal guilt, personal shame, hear this clear, simple, and direct word from the Lord. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And on that final day, he will justify you. This past week, the 46th president of the United States was inaugurated with great pomp and circumstance, along with a trail of excellent anxiety, calming Bernie memes. But the kingdom of Jesus gets inaugurated with a coronation ceremony of a different kind, a crown of thorns, the death penalty, a public execution. Behold your king, gentle and lowly and mighty to save, and behold his kingdom. The only way out of every form of your oppression is in that death and resurrection. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Blessed be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.